It's time for the December 9th, 2022 edition of Weekly Signal's Weekly Review, a personal recollection of the last 168 hours of history, broadcasting on National Llama Day from the University of California at Irvine on KUCI 88.9 FM. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Caspar. And, as always, because he's earned a special treat, Mahler, the fake news dog. <laughs> well, that's kind of pathetic, It was. I, it was yeah. That was just me, but that yeah. sounded... That, all right, okay. Yeah. Excited? All right. All right. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Do you like to swear, Mike? Yeah, I don't swear as much as I used to. But there yeah. was a period of time in my life where I let those F-bombs fly. Just F-bombs? Well, not F-bombs, all kinds. And okay. I love a good creative swearer. Oh, so yeah. I love somebody who really kind of knows the terrain, if you it's will. It's supposed to be good for you. Yeah. It, yeah. It yeah. is there's something therapeutic. Of, and, I and I think people I think who right. swear are smarter. That's what they say. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. That explains a lot. I used to swear a lot more than I do now, so... You're, yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, yeah. The old age is setting in. It's starting to creep in there, buddy. Yeah, it's starting to yeah, go. It's, it's... What was I going to say? What was that? Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Is that Matlock on there? Let's take a Matlock. gander on the... No, it's Matlock. A Matlock. <laughs> I don't think, like, <laughs> probably 80% of our viewers don't know okay. anything about Matlock. <laughs> and the 20% who do... <laughs> don't think it's funny. No. Not really, yeah, yeah. okay. <laughs> I think I, I swore this morning on the way here. I swore at my dad when he wasn't close enough for, for me, for him to hear it yeah. today. Yeah. Oh, you were hey, driving away, man? Well, I was walking out the door, and I realized he hadn't taken his medication, and I started swearing yeah. a lot. Holy mother working yeah. shirt balls. <laughs> From the New York Times, a new study found that curse words in several unrelated languages sound alike. Okay. So there's a commonality between cursing across the globe. I wonder if we, like, ran into alien life forms, if this would hold true for them. Yeah. For one thing, curse words are less likely than other words to include the consonant sounds L, R, W, or Y. More family-friendly versions of curses often have L, R, W, and Y in them. Just like the R in shirt balls. Yeah. Yeah. Or fork, for example. Yeah. Instead of that other word. Yeah. The findings suggest that some underlying rules may link the world's languages, no matter how different they are. Hmm. In English, many swear words have common phonetic properties. They're often short and punchy. Mm -hmm. They also tend to include the sounds P, T or K. K. K is a big one. Yeah. yeah, K. Yeah. Those sounds are called stop consonants because they interrupt the airflow when we're speaking. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It makes it short and concise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to look for patterns in swearing, the researchers asked fluent speakers of Hebrew, Hindi, Hungarian, Korean, and Russian to list the most vulgar words they could think of. I'd start making up words if they asked me that. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Well, that's saying? the beauty of swearing. You can yeah. come up with stuff that, yeah, you can, just you what can. you said, be very creative. I find that throwing Jesus Christ somewhere in there, for some reason. Yeah. 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 If you throw Jesus Christ in there, yeah. as like in between two other cuss words, yeah. it adds a little bit of flavor. <laughs> in these languages, Hebrew, Hindi, Hungarian, Korean, and Russian, 
the researchers didn't find the harsh-sounding stop consonants that seem common in English swear words. Instead, the vulgar words were defined by what they lacked. The consonant sounds L, R, W, and Y. That's right. So, you know, mm-hmm. that's consistent. Yeah. In linguistics, these gentle sounds are called approximants. Approximants. Yeah. Okay. Next, the scientists look for the same phenomena using speakers of different languages. Arabic, Chinese, Finnish, French, German, and Spanish. The subjects were told they were listening to pairs of words in a language they didn't speak and guessed which words in each pair was offensive. Hmm. They would say fork and we're on the puck. Puck, yeah. Okay. They would say yeah. fork and puck. Puck, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the subjects were more likely to guess the words without approximates, so they would go with puck. Finally, the researchers combed through the dictionary for English swear words and their cleaned-up versions, also called minced oath, like the oath keeper thing. Mm -hmm. Minced oaths. Minced oaths. I got That's a tough pair. That is a tough pair. That should be a swear word right there. (laughs) Except it doesn't have any, you know, stop consonants. It's making me want to swear. So minced oath, Mm -hmm. like darn Mm -hmm. or friggin'. Mm Mm-hmm. Once again, the clean versions included more of the sounds L, R, W, and Y. There's something about the sounds that inherently sound non-sweary. Like Fargan Ice Hole. <laughs> yeah, that's... What do you think, Mahler? Hey. You, you got anything? <laughs> yeah, well, say to you. God damn it! <laughs> God, what a foul mouth that boy has. <laughs> Well, maybe it does have, have something to do with cadence and sound. It does yeah. sound like that's a very important part of cursing. Yeah. I wonder if they curse on death metal albums. <laughs> you know, they're doing that crazy growl. Yeah. Yeah. How'd they do that? I, well. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever listen to any of that stuff? Death metal? Yeah. Not really. Very yeah. often. I've heard it. Gatekeeper? Witch vomit? <laughs> Morbid Angel? Any of those guys? No. Sorry. Uh, sorry to say. I know somebody at the station who probably listens to it. Yeah. Uh, contrary to popular opinion, you know, Ramstein? Yeah. Yeah, they're not death metal. They are more industrial metal. Industrial metal. Or what they call Neue Deutsche Harte, which is uh, new hard rock in Germany. But I guess they're not death metal. I thought because, you know, that vocalist was yeah, kind of deathy sounding. It's all me. the attitude of death yeah. metal. Without the death metal? Without the death metal. <laughs> so if you want, if you want that, Romstein is your, your band. Yeah. From New Scientist, bats are known for their high-frequency calls, which they use to catch prey. But they also let out much lower-frequency calls for bat-to-bat communication. If they're just hanging with a bunch of bats <laughs> and want to talk, much lower frequency. For decades, scientists speculated as to which structures in the bat's larynx produce different frequencies. In a new study, researchers pinpointed two laryngeal structures, larynx structures, mm-hmm. responsible for the extreme highs and lows of a bat's vocal range, which spans three or four more octaves than the average human's. So they got quite a range there. If you had bat opera, yeah. it would be fantastic. It would be unbelievable. Yeah. They found that high-frequency echolocation calls are produced by thin, translucent vocal membranes that rest atop the vocal cords. Lower-frequency squeaks 
came from the bat's false vocal folds, which get their name from the fact that in humans, they're rarely used and never for speech. False vocal folds are, however, used by death metal vocalists. <laughs> so, in a way, bat-to-bat communication squeaks are a bat version of death metal. <laughs> it's a very high-frequency sound for us. It's high-frequency yeah. for the bats. But for the bats, it's a low-frequency. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I, I get a wonder, and in a good way, uh-huh. who proposed the idea to do this? Like, it's great that... Well, they wanted to know the, yeah, yeah, they the bat structure. They sure. weren't thinking death metal. Well, trying, no, I'm not even yeah. alluding to that. I'm just saying the idea of trying to determine what the range of vocal frequencies are in bats. I know it's important in, in studying, but I just, it's an interest. So many of these kind of studies, you just wonder who they're sitting Maybe around the table. Maybe it was a study in echolocation. Yeah, yeah. And they know the bats are good at it. They wanted to see what part of the bat brain and vocal cords, how, how can we replicate yeah, and I could imagine this would be something that may have been thought to be uh, something that could be translated into a new communication network or a way of communicating, getting getting frequencies. Who are you, Elon Musk? I'm just wondering. This sounds like something Elon Musk well, would do. Well, I mean, nature teaches us things all the time that yeah. we didn't know we needed to know until uh-huh. we find out about it, so ah. in, in other ways. Ah, so like bats. <laughs> If this news makes you want to call me a cork-sucking bastard, may I recommend a donation to KUCI instead? Just go to KUCI.org. Your generous donation is how we stay on air. Commercial-free, free-form, free-speech radio, KUCI 88.9 FM. Do you ever see a sawfish? No. You know, those... Guys with the big long nose, and the, they're like huge animals, and they have this thing that looks like a saw on their nose, like a serrated edge saw. Well, it looks like a like one of those. I thought they were know. called swordfish. Well, they got swordfish. Okay, that's what but I. They mean. have a sword. And they have a sawfish that they have little like almost teeth on this. They got me appendage. I, I, I don't think nose. I have ever seen one. Huh. Seen a swordfish. They're also known as carpenter sharks. Carpenter shark. Well, they're they yeah. And they're in the ray family. Like Mike Ray. <laughs> you remember him, right? Lived up in Tustin? Yeah. Yeah. Mike Ray. They're in the Ray family, characterized by long, narrow, flattened rostrum or nose extension. Lined with sharp, transverse teeth arranged in a way that resembles a saw. Uh, they are among the largest fish, with some species reaching lengths of 25 feet. Oh, my goodness. That's a lot of fish. From Scientific American, new analysis of one of the world's weirdest animals, the sawfish, supports the idea that teeth first appeared when ancient fishes' body scales migrated through evolution into their mouths about 400 million years ago. There you go. So you and I, wow, we have scales in our mouth. We think of them as bones. Yes. But they actually evolved from scales. That's amazing. Early teeth offered jawed fish a major evolutionary boost, as any fish will tell you if they are feeding. And unless you're sucking in really small stuff like plankton, there are big advantages to being able to grab hold of objects in your mouth. I'll say. Mm-hmm. All tooth animals living now, from trout to humans to mauler, 
appear to have descended from a single group of jawed fish. I found this fascinating. This is utterly fascinating. You know, you're sitting there with your teeth all the time. Yeah. No wonder they always have cavities in them. They're scales. <laughs> Hard protective body scales made of mineralized tissues such as dentine or enamel could have migrated into the mouth, a hypothesis known as outside-in. That's outside. Scales. In. In. Teeth. Or teeth could have developed internally from the same tissue as gills, a hypothesis known as inside-out. Wow. Yeah. The new fish study offers fresh evidence in favor of the outside-in origin. The study gathered fossils from an extinct sawfish species which lived 70 million years ago. So they were just walking around like a mock kettle, you know, (laughs) before then. Yeah. They analyzed the fossils' rostral (laughs) denticles, the spikes that jut from the sides of a sawfish's snout, to aid in foraging and self-defense. Rostral denticles look like teeth, but they're actually specialized body scales. When the researchers scratched away the outer layers of these scales with sandpaper in the uh, the fish, uh, an acid, sandpaper and acid, and then observed them under a scanning electron microscope, they were stunned by the level of complexity they found in this old uh, 70-million-year-old fossil of an extinct fish. Scientists had expected a homogenous structure like that of many other body scales, but instead they saw distinct regions of microcrystals that resist mechanical stress. So by the time it got to 70 million years ago to this fish, the scales had already developed into these uh, teeth. In fact, instead of scales, the sawtooth saw composition resembled modern shark teeth. So they were already well along in the teeth. You think you have scales in your mouth now? <laughs> Is that what you're afraid of? No, I'm not afraid of it, that at all. I'm, just, I'm acknowledging... I'm not afraid? I'm not afraid of anything. <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, I'm just saying, wow, that's pretty amazing. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's evolution. It's evolution, yeah, yeah. yeah. But didn't, didn't Jesus just make that happen on one day or something? Scales? Scales. Yeah. It, Jesus said, I wish I had some teeth, <laughs> but all I got are these scales. Yeah, all I got are these scales. Yeah, what are going to do? Is there anything we can do with these? Yeah. Let's think this through. From the American Academy of Arts and Sciences newsletter, a new study lays out for the first time why the southern hemisphere is stormier than the northern hemisphere. The southern hemisphere has about a 24% stronger jet stream and more intense weather events, in case you didn't know. Researchers found two major culprits for this, ocean circulation. You like that one. I like that one a lot. And the large mountain ranges in the northern hemisphere. The study also found that this storm asymmetry has increased since the 1980s when the satellites first recorded this data. First, the researchers constructed a numerical model of Earth's climate built on the laws of physics that reproduced the data. They then removed different variables one at a time and quantified each one's impact on storminess. Yeah. The first variable they tested was topography. Large mountain ranges disrupt airflow in a way that reduces storms, and there are more mountain ranges in the northern atmosphere, so they just flattened every mountain on Earth. And about half the difference in storminess between the two hemispheres disappeared. Mm. And the other half had to do with ocean circulation. 
when they got rid of that, what they call almost a conveyor belt of uh, flow, they saw the other half of the difference in storminess disappear. Well, so by laying this foundation of understanding, we increase confidence in climate change projections and thereby help society better prepare for the impacts of climate change. That's why we're doing this. And thing. at that point, scientists started jumping out of the windows. Yeah, that's right. They couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> they were still thinking about where their teeth came from. Right. And that did it. And they realized, yeah. well, it doesn't matter, it really. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Jesus has a plan. <laughs> Jesus. By the way, and then... just in case you're wondering out there, don't worry. Yeah. Jesus has a plan. <sighs> from Knowledgeable Magazine. I'm going to subscribe to that. Huh? Knowledgeable Magazine. <laughs> As the Arctic warms, beavers move in. Yep. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. It began decades ago when a few hardy beaver pioneers slogged across the tundra. It's said that one beaver walked so far to get there. <laughs> that he rubbed the skin off the underside of his long, flat tail. Well, that's got to That's hurt. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why would a beaver do that? I too? have no idea. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't. I, if How I, about you, Mahler? Would it, you do that kind of No, he wouldn't do it. If, if I had a beaver, I wouldn't let him do it either. Yeah, I mean, you want to look out for him. Yeah. And yeah. you want to watch out for your own tail. Yeah. Anyway. Today, beavers have homes and colonies scattered throughout the tundra in Alaska and Canada, and their numbers are increasing. It's not clear yet what these new residents mean for the Arctic ecosystem, but concerns are growing and locals and scientists are paying close attention. Researchers have observed that the dams beavers build accelerate changes already in play due to a warming climate. Indigenous people are worried the dams pose a threat to the migrations of fish species they depend on. Mm. Beavers alter ecosystems. We know that. Yeah. In fact, their ability to transform landscapes may be second to only to that of humans. In temperate regions, beaver dams affect everything from the height of the water table to the kinds of shrubs and trees that grow. And you remember just a couple of weeks ago, we reported uh, on... Uh, the. A uh, study that showed that beavers could be used to protect our rivers and water quality from climate change. But now it looks like they could screw everything up. So it went from those beaver dams to those damn beavers. Exactly. <laughs> You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine, California. Visit us on the web at KUCI.org, on Facebook at facebook.com slash KUCI 88.9, on our Tumblr blog at kuciradio.tumblr.com and on Twitter and Instagram at KUCIFM. Can we uh, do another beaver story? Sometime no, I think the... what got me was the scales. It wasn't so much the beaver as it was the scales. See, I, see, uh, and, and, okay. I, and it started tipping off, I think, yeah. kind of right at the beginning. Yeah, well, just the thing is, is any time that uh, there's a story about a about beavers. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy. Yeah. I, me it's too. usually. Do you like to swear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From The Guardian, three weeks of strikes by university academics have brought campuses around California to a standstill. They were walking around there today when yeah. on my way to, yeah. to UCI. They're not at a standstill. There's, there are people moving. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fake so news. Is, you're yeah, saying it's hyperbolic fake. reporting. Yeah, okay. Well, they like to use words yeah. like standstill. Yeah. You know, if it's not exploding, it's standing still. 
Labs are closed here. Assignments go ungraded. Graduate students have walked off the job. Professors have canceled classes, and even construction staff have put down their tools in solidarity. But not KUCI. No, not us. (laughs) We're scabs here at KUCI. We're not scabs. Nobody pays attention to us. That's the thing. So we can say whatever the fork we want. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, when I was going to school way back in the day, and it was a long time ago, TAs and these same people were screaming bloody murder about their working conditions. Exactly. This was like half a century ago when they were complaining about it. Yes. And after all this time, after the university has got itself wedged into this position where they depend on these people to keep the university running, They're in a jam now. Yeah, exactly. The strike is groundbreaking, the largest in the history of U.S. higher education and part of a wave of organizing at college campuses across the country. It has brought together 48,000 graduate workers, academic researchers, and postdoctoral scholars within the nine-campus University of California system who say the low wages they are paid make it impossible to live in the cities that they work in. It's absolutely true. It's about $23,247.23 that they make, the graduate workers. That's crazy. Yeah, given, especially given here. I don't know if they lived in, in Nebraska. I'm sure they could You could work at okay. Trader Joe's and make half again as much money a year yeah. as that. Yeah, yep. Even in a year of high-profile labor organizing from Starbucks to Amazon, the moment is being hailed as a milestone. It's already scored a victory. A tentative agreement reached with some workers will bring significant wage increases and could go on for weeks longer. The uh, strike itself. Go get them. I hope it works. I hope it works out. Yeah. Yeah. What's about time? Yes. Given the amount of chicanery the university has gone to. How many more scandals do we need to have regarding the universities? Not just talking about UCI. Throughout the UC system, where there's all the scandal involving parents paying to get their kids into these schools, recruiting scandals regarding sports, all kinds of things have been going on to where it doesn't feel like this is an institution of higher learning in the way it was maybe some 20 years ago or but so. But it's a cool university. It is. It's a, cool. It is. That's what they, that's what they advertise. Yeah. It. It's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, increasingly, cool. I'm not saying this Fork is disparaging cool. UCI necessarily. But there are they diploma mills? Are they actually teaching our our young people valuable information? Are they teaching ethics? Ethics. There you go. From the Virginia Business Magazine, a restaurant in Richmond, Virginia, last week canceled a reservation for a private event being held by a conservative Christian organization, citing the group's opposition to same-sex marriage and abortion rights. We have always refused service to anyone for making our staff uncomfortable or unsafe, and this was the driving force behind our decision, read the Instagram post from Metzger Bar and Butchery, a German-influenced restaurant in Union Hill, a neighborhood in uh, Virginia there, in Richmond, Virginia, whose kitchen is helmed by co-owner Brittany Anderson, a veteran of TV cooking shows including Top Chef and Chopped. Many of of Anderson's staff are members of the LGBTQ plus community, The Christian group, the Family Foundation, which is based in Richmond and advocates for policies based on biblical principles, was set to host a dessert reception for supporters on November 30th. According to them, about an hour and a half before the reception was slated to start, one of the restaurant's owners called to cancel it. 
I don't know when they place the reservation, but that sounds kind of sneaky. On the other hand, <laughs> maybe they just found out about it too. Everyone should be concerned that people are being denied service based on their politics, the po uh, Family Foundation's president said. The restaurant disagrees. The Family Foundation has lobbied against same-sex marriage and abortion rights. While it's illegal to discriminate against someone because of their race or religion, the restaurant's refusal had nothing to do with the Family Foundation's actions, mm. not their religion. Mm. If it's all about the overall positions and policies the group has taken, the restaurant said, it's not about Christian versus non-Christian. And old Putin's getting in on the show. Okay. Yeah. From Reuters News Service, Russian President Vladimir Putin signed a law expanding Russia's restrictions on the promotion of what it calls LGBT propaganda. Effectively outlawing any public expression of LGBT behavior or lifestyle in Russia. Under the new law, which widens Russia's interpretation of what qualifies as LGBT propaganda, <laughs> any action or the spreading of any information that is considered an attempt to promote homosexuality in public, online, or in films, books, or advertising could incur a heavy fine. I think all you have to just do is say, it's, you know, it's madness. I'm a lesbian and you're fined. Yeah. Because you're promoting it. It's if you say you are. Yeah. 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 If you said you were, that would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It'd be a surprise to me. Yeah. It would be a surprise to all of us. The law expands Russia's previous law against LGBT propaganda that had banned the demonstration of LGBT behavior to children. So I couldn't tell a child I was a lesbian. Yeah. And this is one of the things that has been kind of simmering in the background of our politics for quite some time now in that this relationship between the Christian right and Russia. They have been courting each other for quite some time. There's something called the National Prayer Breakfast, which just goes on every year in Washington, D.C. It's a huge event. Everybody who's anybody is there to essentially kowtow to the Christian hard right. And over the last few years, they have developed their own prayer group, prayer breakfast in Moscow, and without going into a whole lot of detail, these relationships are becoming more and more about the domestic politics of the United States, and and it, it's troubling. It's a very troubling yeah. trend that these people are doing yeah. because, because of just what you said, because Putin is vehemently anti-gay, lesbian, transgender, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. All this comes as the Kremlin exerts increased pressure on minority groups and opponents of Putin at home, quashing independent media groups and further stifling free speech as Moscow ramps up a decades-long campaign to promote what it says are traditional values. Sound familiar? <sighs> Authorities have already used the existing law to stop gay pride parades, marches, and detain gay rights activists. Rights groups say the new law is intended to drive, to drive so-called non-traditional LGBT lifestyles practiced by lesbians, gay men, bisexuals, and transgender people out of public life altogether. Well, that wouldn't be any fun. <laughs> yeah. I, know. I don't know. What's, what's wrong with these people anyway? I wonder. Do they, are they born with like a spike up their ass? I don't. I, don't, I think that some of this is maybe possibly repressed feelings on their own. Uh, so what you're saying, Putin's a lesbian? 
I don't know. It's control. It's manipulation of people. It's, it's I don't know. It's, it's a lot of ugly things. Yeah. <sighs> From the Washington Post, explorers wriggling through cramped pitch black caves in South Africa claim to have discovered evidence that a human relative with a brain only one-third the size of Mahler's <laughs> used fire for light. <laughs> now, brain one-third the size of yours, Mike. Oh, okay. Which isn't that much different. Well, no, yeah. I actually think Mahler has a slight advantage in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. They used fire for light in cooking a few hundred thousand years ago. This other, not quite like humans, a relative of us, the Hatfields, the unpublished findings, which add new wrinkles to the story of human evolution, have been met with both excitement and skepticism. <laughs> Control of fire is considered a crucial milestone in human evolution, providing light to navigate dark places, like they're telling us here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, what do I use fire for? <laughs> Enabling activity at night. Oh. Ooh. And leading <laughs> to the cooking of food. Yeah, at first it just was hot, <laughs> and then it burned somebody. And after they ate them, it, it was That's a good it. deal. Let's throw let's throw Bob on the fire over there and see yeah. what happens. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Aside from all that screaming, this is a pretty it, it good deal. Pretty, I'll take the ribs. Uh, I'd also increased our body mass too because yeah. Bob was pretty tasty. Yeah. What exactly the breakthrough? When exactly the breakthrough occurred? However, has been one of the most contested questions in all of paleoanthropology. From Forbes magazine, the humble baguette. You know the baguette. Yes. You like those things, baguettes? Uh, I don't eat much bread, but yes, I do like a good baguette now and then. Yeah. 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 What do you do with it? I will slice it down the middle, kind of. You so mean you lengthwise? Lengthwise, yeah. yeah. Thank you. And just put a little bit of some good butter or something. I butter. don't have the whole lot to say here. I just put whatever <laughs> whatever's in front of me. Oh, wait, whatever's in the refrigerator, if I, you know. I don't. Not butter. I like butter. Would you put something no, on No, I don't use side? butter anymore. I use that vegetable stuff. Yeah. Vegetable stuff. Well, it's like margarine or whatever they call. Margarine's yeah. not good for you. I know margarine's not good for you. This is vegetarian, so it is good for you. Damn it! It's a vegan butter. It's a vegan butter. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? And what? Well, what do you do with a baguette that you can say on the radio? What don't I do with a yeah, baguette? Yeah. Well, that's what I was yeah, afraid of. Yeah. I, I like to butter it. Yeah. I like to toast them up. Okay. But I'll just. Take one and just rip it apart sometimes, too. Just like a caveman would. Yeah, and you can just have it for it. breakfast. Yeah. I usually put almond butter on it for breakfast. Okay, that that's sounds what good. I would yeah. do. And you, I toast it. Do you dip it in your boiled egg or anything? Or, you know, where you're, well, then, I would. Yeah. I don't boil it. I would fry an egg. Fry an egg. And and but over easy so that the yolk is the, runny. Yeah, that's and what I'm saying. And then you dip it in there. There you go. Scoop and also, it it's great for sandwiches. Okay. Well, you can have it for lunch. And it also tops up the nice side at dinner time, you know? You can just mop up your plate with that baguette. You, you know, or you like to just pull some off right at the beginning. And it kind of cleanses the palate for yeah. whatever comes after. Yeah, yeah. I don't like about baguettes. What I don't like about baguettes is each end of it, it's a very hard, crusty kind of... That's the best part. And in order to kind of... You have to really kind of dig in and rip, put it in your mouth and rip it out of there. To you get... just use your hands well, instead of your scales. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to do that. That's what I don't like. 
Anyway, the humble baguette, the tasty ambassador for French baking around the world, is being added to the UN's list of intangible cultural heritage. United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization experts gathering in Morocco decided that the simple French flute, made only of flour, water, salt, and yeast, deserved UN recognition after France's cultural ministry warned of a continuous decline in the number of traditional bakeries, Mm -hmm. with some 400 closing every year over the past half century. 400 every year. Half century. (laughs) You put that together, 50 (laughs) times 400. That's a lot of bakeries. (laughs) The UN Cultural Agency's chief, Audrey Azoulay, said the decision honors more than just bread. It recognizes the savoir-faire of artisanal bakers and a daily ritual. It is important that these, craft, that these craft knowledge and social practices can continue to exist in the future, added Azoulay, a former French culture minister. I think he's got the inside track on this thing. Beautifully said. Yay! From the San Jose Mercury News. In what researchers are calling a scientific breakthrough. Yes, yeah. tell me more. Scientists behind a new study may have found the biological reason we get more respiratory illnesses in winter. You want to know about this because you're always snarfing around. Yeah, I am. I am. Turns out that the cold air itself damages the immune response occurring in the nose. Now, I always made fun of the idea that cold give you cold because people used to think you'd go out in the cold mm-hmm. and it would chill you. Mm-hmm. When in fact, what happens... Uh, is that reducing the temperature inside the nose by as little as 9 degrees Fahrenheit kills nearly 50% of the billions of virus and bacterial, bacteria-fighting cells in the nostrils, according to the study. As it turns out, the pandemic gave us exactly what we need to fight off chilly air and keep our immunity high. Not only do masks protect us from the direct inhalation of viruses, but it's also like wearing a sweater on your nose. <laughs> The warmer you can keep the intranasal environment, the better this innate immune defense mechanism will be able to work. It's another reason to wear masks. Yeah, another, yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about starting a company called No Sweater. <laughs> huh? That's a good idea. Yeah. I like it. Make them fashionable. Yeah. Different ways to. It's a, the cover attachment your nose. of it. The attachment's the issue, I think, for a no sweater. Right? Well, I, I, I was thinking. We just use a regular mask. It'd be a number of different ways. Okay. How about a bozo nose? Oh, there you go. You just have a little nose. You just pop on your nose. Yeah, yeah. And it keeps you warm. Yeah. All different sizes and it, styles. Yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, you can have the Jimmy Durante. <laughs> you know, the Ellen DeGeneres. Uh-huh. That'd be a very tiny, thin one. It'd probably pinch my nose. Yeah. I'd have to go with a bigger one. Who's... And there's also, of course, the Mahler. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That would be... That would, yeah, that would fly off the shelves. Yeah, exactly. The pug. The pug? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think you're onto something here. No sweater. No sweater. Copyright. <laughs> Anybody out there, go ahead and steal it. Oh. Uh, yeah, just so, go ahead. So, Run with it, man. So next time I'm walking through a mall and I see a, a whole store. Yeah. 5,000 square feet retail space of nothing but no sweaters. Elon Musk yeah, buys yeah, yeah. no sweater for $3 billion. <laughs> <laughs> Only yeah. worth $100 million. From the Baltimore Sun, 
Phone cameras were rolling, so the TikTok influencer bent her knees, adjusted her stance, and swung her club at a golf ball that had been placed near the edge of a precipice at the Grand Canyon. Uh Uh-oh. The ball soared. The club did, too, after it flew out of her hand. How did that happen? Asked the text on the clip, which was posted on TikTok the same day. U.S. Park System authorities, however, appeared to have another question after viewing the video. What the fork? (laughs) Who was responsible for littering at one of the country's most iconic national parks? And putting it on a video. That's the most beautiful national parks. What's iconic about it anyway? Iconic. Tips came in, and law enforcement soon had a name. Katie Sigmund, an influencer with about 7 million followers on TikTok, who posts workout and modeling videos as well as clips highlighting the golf game at driving ranges and courses. Now, am I giving her any publicity here? Because I think she's kind of a... A little bit, yeah. A of course dullard. Yeah. Her golf swing at the Grand Canyon, however, quickly drew criticism, including from park officials. Do we really need to say don't hit golf balls into the Grand Canyon? <laughs> I feel that way a lot, too. You yeah, know? yeah. Sometimes you see signs. Remember when they put the sign on the end of Huntington Beach Pier, you know? Don't jump off the pier. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Who's that for? It's for the person that's going to jump off the pier, Mm -hmm. whether there's a sign there or not. That's who it's for. That is true. They're going to do it anyway. You're right. You're right. (sighs) In addition to criticism, the stunt also resulted in legal trouble trouble for Sigmund, who eventually admitted to Park Rangers that she had been the one in the video. Sigmund, 20 was charged with littering, tossing items into the Grand Canyon, and creating hazardous conditions with disorderly conduct. Sounds moderately uh, serious. I don't know if that's... Well... She did any it was time, but... Pretty, no, no. It was just kind of a, a low... Yeah. A low monetary fine. I don't know. She probably parlayed that into another half a million viewers on her TikTok feed. Yeah, because now I know about her. Yeah. And with with uh, with the way things are these days, the, kids these, these days. These kids today with their talk tick. And finally, from the Biloxi, Mississippi Sun Herald in Biloxi, Mississippi. After a disagreement over scoring in a game of golf, a Mississippi man flew into a fit of rage and bit his opponent's nose off. <laughs> You can subscribe to the Weekly Signals Weekly Reviewed Podcast at weeklysignals.com. Weeklysignals.com. Subscribe now.